In the 20 plus years of helping people plan for the cost of retirement and long-term health care, we've identified one consistent theme among families and caregivers. People don't like to talk about money. Life care affordability planning helps families who are facing long-term health issues and increasing health-related expenditures to make better informed financial decisions during a time when there are so many unanswered questions. It's time to face this topic head-on, address the emotional charge of discussing money, and discover practical ways to bridge the gap between a long-term health care plan and your ability to pay for it. Hello and welcome to Life Care Affordability Planning with Tom West and Arvet Reed from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. Today is part two of their inaugural podcast. Last time, we went through kind of some of the questions about what they do, who they are, why they got into the business they're in, which is a fantastic way to learn about everything they do. So go back and listen to it if you have not. And this podcast is the second part, which is all personal questions, which are my favorite. I'll be honest. I, I have a lot of fun with this. So good morning, Tom and Arvet. How are you? Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Arvan. Hello, hello. Hello. All right. So, uh, are you guys ready to get into the personal questions? Oh, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> are you sure you're ready? Yeah, okay. All right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. So, the first one is pretty easy. When you're not working, guys, what do you guys do for fun? Well, I guess I'll take a stab at that. I do feel like I'm working a lot. So, we're looking at a, <laughs> I think a narrower sleeve of my life than I might otherwise think of. I, I think, you know, friends and family certainly occupy the most of my time outside of any of the charitable work that I do or any of the career work that I do. And that that tends to focus mostly on two things, eating and cooking. I think that I've got a particular affinity for shopping for groceries and cooking big meals in a way that absolutely destroys the kitchen, ah, but, hope, <laughs> oh, but hopefully inspires the diners. <laughs> And the other piece is, you know, I, I am a sports fan. You know, I think basketball and football in particular uh, mm. like to grab my attention. I don't know that I'm a, like a face painter, but I definitely can <laughs> lean in to my enthusiasm with, uh, you know, watching those different things. The only other piece of thing that I'm, I'm pushing 50 right now, I'm still trying to play basketball uh, in, in some competitive games. I'm, I'm like the old guy. <laughs> The, the old guy that's always stepping on toes and whatnot. So that, that, that's most of what my life, the fun part of my life outside of work really looks like right now. All right, Arvet, how about you? All right, I'd say my number one thing to do for fun really is movies. So I look at everything else in my life. Like I work full time. I've got kids. I've got a husband. I've got parents, in-laws. And so I really am the sandwich generation. So I like spending time with my family and friends and doing all that. But just some, total escapism. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> I just want to be like by myself. Right. And uh, so I'll either go to the movies by myself or I'll just sit on the couch and watch a movie. Um, so and everybody in my family knows that's kind of my escape time. So that I consider that my fun right now in the midst of just being a good family and friend. Mm -hmm. Nice. So two follow-up questions for that. Uh, one for you, Tom, one for you, Arvet. Tom, what's your favorite dish to create? Well, right now I'm trying to get my Asian Chinese wok stuff back. Ooh. Back. I used to be able to cook that a lot more and uh, I've, I've just <laughs> I've just seasoned a new wok. Oh, nice. I'm like, this is going to make the podcast now. But that's, that's, the wok. <laughs> I know. So I'm very excited about that. So I guess I would try to say uh, Asian at, mm -hmm. at the moment. That's probably what's top of the list. Right on. That sounds good to me. And our vet, what is your favorite genre of movie? Romantic comedies by far. But then again, I also just romance in general. So 
Got yeah. the rom-coms. Okay. All right. You and my yeah. daughter will get along swimmingly. She loves that stuff. <laughs> All right. Next question. Uh, a little more serious, but a lot of fun. Who is your hero? Uh, my hero, um, I, I got to say, is probably probably uh, unsung caregivers. Um, I think mm-hmm. if, you, if, I, if I were to look back over the course of um, – in the last 10, last 20 years of my life personally and professionally, from a hero standpoint, people that are able to take care of somebody that they love and maintain good humor and dignity and cheer through it, even if they might not have the education or the resources that might be associated with fantastic care, the people that show up every day Mm -hmm. and do their stuff. I think there's something in particular about being unsung and unrecognized Mm -hmm. that I find particularly heroic. So I I go that direction in terms of what's impactful to me more than like a historical figure, like a Lincoln or an FDR. Yeah. Yeah. That's surprising. I didn't know you were going to go group. That's what I did. I went group. I thought you were going to go person. (laughs) Um, So for me, it's kind of the group, like my parents, I mean, definitely were role models and heroes in my eyes. But one of the reasons for that is because they both were community people and they stood up for what they believed and for the rights of others. And they fought for that. So my mom was a mental health social worker and my dad was, or is it was a middle school chemistry teacher and administrator. And so I grew up watching them just kind of fight to make the world a better place Mm. for those people that they worked with or really wanted to advocate for. So in my mind, anybody that takes their passion and just goes full throttle and dedicated to making the place a better, you know, making the world a better place for somebody else. That's just, I really do look up to that. Mm. Yeah. That's fantastic. Along those lines, Tom, especially with what you had said, my wife works for an organization that, that has caregivers for people that are in their own home still. And there's a lady, Miss Delta. Uh, my wife answers the phones after hours uh, for when people can't make their shifts, so on and so forth. And Miss Delta mm-hmm. is a little over five foot tall, a spitfire, close to 70. And she will fill in wherever she's needed all the time. Her mm-hmm. passion for for helping these people out, even if she hasn't worked with them before, her passion is is amazing. I've always had respect for caregivers. But yeah. to see the level of passion that she has and some others as well just blows me away. Just this how much they love the client. And I think that's fantastic. So great. All right. Next question. If you had all the money in the world or all the money you ever needed, what would you do? All right. So I'm going to take this one first. Okay. Um, I've always believed that experiences are more important than things. So for me, if I had like bottomless money, I would take my kids and my family all over the place. Mm-hmm. I would visit places all over the world. We'd have experiences. We'd go to shows. We'd do all these things. So they, they would have memories. And I remember my parents really making sure that I had experiences growing up. And I appreciated those experiences. And, and now as an adult, I really appreciate those experiences. Mm-hmm. And in the senior housing and healthcare world, we would try to do that all the time for the residents and their family. So when I worked for hospice, Uh, there were cancer patients that just wanted to put their toes in the sand one more time, Mm, right? So everybody would rally to try to figure out how to make that happen. And when I worked at a dementia-assisted living, we had a resident who was a professional ballroom dancer. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to get another gentleman in and create this whole environment for her where she could dance again and this thing. So, you know, sometimes those things take money. And when you're in the middle of healthcare stuff, Mm. families are all gummed up on 
trying to make decisions and they can't really see those things, nor they may not have the money for it. So there are a lot of organizations out there that have money and do these experiences for people. So I just, I really love that. That would be, that would be great. It's a lot like make a wish foundation. Um, Right. I'm sure there's others that, that focus on the senior population. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. What about you, Tom? Well, you know, it, well, while I was talking, I'll tell you exactly where my head went. I was thinking of our vet watching movies. And then when you just asked me the question, unlimited financial resources, I immediately thought supervillain. I, <laughs> I thought I need a moon base and a space laser. I'm very disappointed with my own answer. But that's where my head went initially. So uh, I'd probably say, you know, if, if I had unlimited financial resources that that um, I don't think I'd do a moon base, but, but it's, it's like it's fun to say. Every now and then I'll have these good conversations with clients or families about, you know, meaning of life and whatnot. And I think, you know, at the end, you know, what can you do to improve the, the human condition? I, I think that I would probably be motivated to expand the literacy of our community, our society on healthcare and finances. It's an area that I certainly have a lot of insight and passion mm-hmm. about. And I think that from an education standpoint, some of the concepts that we're going to be talking about in the podcast, and to some degree, this whole podcast is going to be exploring, I think, some pretty impactful ideas on how making good decisions that involve money but aren't about money during a healthcare scenario. Mm-hmm. I think that that's where I would be wanting to exhaust a good amount of mm-hmm. these, you know, hypothetically unlimited uh, financial resources. And if that doesn't work, moon base space laser. <laughs> space laser. Completely. <laughs> Got to have the space laser. Um, you could start a tattoo removal business with a space laser, I think. Right. All right. So who is your favorite person in history and why? So my, my favorite person in history uh, has got to be Julius Caesar. And it's a goofy reason to start with. Um, my parents, I think on a goof, decided to give me the middle name of Caesar. So oh. I've had Caesar spelled C-A-E-S-A-R, like as part of my birth certificate driver's license for my whole life. So I've always had this affinity for looking at Julius Caesar in the past. I think what I like about Julius Caesar is, is you know, the idea of fantastic military mind. I think interesting thing, other than setting the foundation for the Roman Empire, he had this strategic impulse to overshoot his supply lines when he thought that that's what it would take to win. And I, I find that a little bit inspirational. You know, the idea that I'm going to go way out beyond what is considered safe and conventional mm-hmm. wisdom. That's something that, that I think is a little bit inspirational from a historical standpoint. Less inspirational is dictator for life and stabbed to death yeah. by politicians. <laughs> so I, I tend not to focus, focus quite that. so much on Ides of March and so on. Yeah. But uh, Julius Caesar is definitely my, my persistent answer. And he accomplished that without a space laser. It's true. It's true. He's amazing. All right, Arvette, what about you? So my favorite person in history is actually a family member of mine. Um, Her name is Maggie Lena Walker, for those of you who don't know. She was born in Richmond, which is where both of my parents are from. So this is um, my aunt on my mother's side. And Tom and I laugh because I was always like, I'm not a financial person. I'm the healthcare person. And he and I were just talking one day about, at the time, the new African-American museum that opened up with the Smithsonian. And I was saying, my aunt has an exhibit in there. And he's like, who's your aunt? I'm like, Manny, Lena, Lena Walker. She was the first woman and African-American to charter a bank in the United States. So he's like, uh, yeah, and you don't like finances? <laughs> Look at your aunt. 
Right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bloodline. (laughs) But the other thing about her is she was extremely involved in her community and she did programs for Blacks during the segregation. Mm. And she actually did a lot of stuff with the elderly, I found out. And so, you know, I watched my parents be community activists and I saw that my mom got it, you know, through her family. And so my beliefs in helping seniors, I've been doing this and believed in it since I was younger. And it's really fun watching the children, my children now, um, our children, me and my husband's children, know that they can really do whatever they want to do. And they both take a lot of pride in being related to um, Aunt Maggie. Wow. That's powerful. Uh, The the amount of strength that she had to have during that time is kind of puts me to shame, right? I mean, I I think about that a lot. I'm, I'm a white male that grew up in a very white town. And as I've matured over the years, I've, I've been able to understand how easy or how, well, just easy I had it. And I didn't have to stand up for a whole lot. And people in that position, your aunt specifically, holy cow. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it kind of embarrasses me how, we, how, how I haven't Thank done a whole lot of anything uh, that, on that magnitude to change people's lives. And, and uh, that's a great person. That's a great Yeah, example. but me too. Sometimes like, am I doing enough? Yeah. Is the movies going to get me where I need to go? <laughs> Might need to go action I, movies. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> oh, man. All right. Let's go into the next one. What is your idea of success? Well, I, I think that... Uh, Success for me is 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 probably some balance between impact on greater society and being able to savor the mm. finer things in life with friends and family and people you care about. I I, I always tend to think that I, I I get a little bit lost in the weeds when I focus too much on one versus another. So I usually find a foot in both of those camps is sort of my definition of success. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it was easy. I'm a fixer. I love mm. problem solving. I love being called the firefighter. So I really feel like I've done good when I can help somebody through something. And I'm not saying I'm doing this by myself, right? Like I reach out to resources. I'm a connector. But if um, someone's having an issue and they're coming to me for guidance, it makes me feel really good when I can make sure they're set off in the right direction. And teamwork is also very important in doing that. So. Mm. Yeah, and getting to know you both, I think that's exactly a snapshot of what life care affordability planning does, right? Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where you don't have all the answers; you have the resources to find the answers, and mm-hmm. that's that's right. just mm-hmm. as important. I mean, it's it's that's critical. So, no, I think that that's fantastic. All right, next question: What? And this can be anything, anything. What is one thing you recommend most to clients, families, or friends? So, I'm going to take this one first as the a healthcare person in the financial firm. My number one thing is ask for help. I'm telling families, like, you have to ask for help. You have to get your head out of the sand. And I felt that same way in healthcare. So after 15 years in the senior housing and healthcare industry, you know, I, I saw that families were struggling making decisions. And a lot of it was because they were putting their fingers in their ears, head in the sand. They really didn't want to deal with what was happening. And so that was part of my support in getting them to open up to what was some options for them going forward. And now that I'm here in the wealth management firm, it's the same thing. People don't talk about money. People don't want to talk about finances. And when you're in the middle of a healthcare scenario, you can't pretend like financial issues don't exist, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think it's very important. The work that we're doing with the life care affordability plan is recommending to clients to come in wide open Mm. 
eyes wide open and then let us help them. And then on a personal note, like I just went through some stuff with my mother who recently passed away and being surrounded by the professionals in the healthcare industry and now my teammates and here in the financial industry, I really had the support system I needed. But even I had a very difficult time opening my eyes and asking for help. And thankfully, the people around me knew me well enough to just say, Arvette, you need help. And I was able to listen. So that would be my number one thing to talk with clients and families about. Yeah. And I think that if just looking forward um, on the podcasts ahead, I mean, a lot of the ground that we cover has to do with framing decision-making in a way that asks for help Mm -hmm. and accepts help. Mm -hmm. I think there's also something that I've certainly learned from our vet is it's one thing to ask. It's another thing to accept help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that's, that's some conceptual ground that I'm really proud of the progress that we've made about how do you actually bring people to a place where they can accept help and be supported in difficult decisions that they might have all sorts of psychological reasons not to want to make. Right. And, and how do we guide people through that in order to get better outcomes for their family? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys more about it because one thing that I know that we, we had a friend that, that lost her husband uh, very early in life, and we had to learn very quickly that we couldn't ask the question, what do you need? What can we help you with? Because it wasn't specific enough. Just to your point, Tom, uh, I'm okay. I'm fine. There was no reaching out for help. It, we weren't offering the right kind of help. You know what? We're going to bring over some meals for you. What would you like to eat? That's right. very poignant, mm-hmm. and it's just to it. Here's what we're going to do, and then let's talk about what else we can do. And then the, that opens up a conversation. So I'm really right. interested to see how you guys do that, and I know that we'll be covering that on a future podcast, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. All right, Tom, let's go back to you. What is the one thing you recommend most to clients, family, and friends? Well, I think my professional life, when I'm talking with clients, I think I have a little bit more latitude to speak directly and professionally, but I think I, think I can say to all of these different audiences that hope and worry, neither of the two of them are the same as plans. And, uh, you know, learning a little bit from our vet about seeking help and accepting help. I think that the idea of just being able to guide people through what's the information that we need to organize, what's your set of available choices, let's decide on one of those choices and let's monitor and make sure that it's working getting people into that type of a process is probably the most consistent, persistent, and an, and an enthusiastic advice I give to pretty much everybody. And, and I think that friends, family, and clients will hear me reframe expressions of hope and worry into an active decision-making mm. process that actually drives better outcomes. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, I like that. All right, now we're on to my favorite question by far. I, I love this one. And neither one of you can get out of it, by the way. You have to answer. <laughs> can I get out of it? Nope. No. Not at all. No pass for you, Tom. All right. <clears throat> Tell us one thing that most people don't know about you. Oh, shoot. I was going to prepare for this, and now I'm actually a little bit unprepared. One thing that people don't know about me, I'd probably say a lot of my softy side where I'm getting, I think Arvent goofs on me a little bit in private moments about people don't know that I'm a big softy. I think some people do know that I'm a big softy. I think the thing that people don't know about me is a lot of the emotional intelligence and empathetic skills that I might have, 
I think a lot of them don't come as naturally to uh, to me as as maybe I let on. I think a lot of them were very experientially uh, based. I mm-hmm. think after my wife and I took care of my in-laws for a while, I think after I got really deep in activism and support for dementia, like I, I, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of that emotional sensitivity and literacy that I'd like to think is part of what I and we bring to this life care affordability planning process, that's a learned behavior. That's not a natural thing. Like I'm not a social worker. I'm not a healthcare person. When you're talking earlier, Eric, about your hero caregiver lady who is, Mm -hmm. is, you know, selfless and taking care of people, that that's something that I have had to evolve into that kind of sensitivity. Mm -hmm. That's not probably part of my natural personality profile. And certainly it's been an area of growth for me, but I don't know that that's something that's apparent when people are meeting me in professional or personal settings. Hmm, Interesting. All right. Yeah. I tell him he's a financial professional rapper with a social worker heart. (laughs) (laughs) All gushy on Um, the inside. (laughs) Yeah. And so for me, what people don't, I mean, I talk a lot about my experience in senior housing and healthcare and the great stuff we're doing here um, with the life care affordability plan. But years ago, before I jumped into healthcare, I actually was in software and I was a global marketing manager and traveled the world um, back to the idea of experience as mm. being very important to me and making sure my kids have that. And I really loved what I was doing, but I always had this thing for working with seniors. And so when I needed a career change, that is when I left software and went back to work in uh, my hometown of Alexandria, Virginia at Goodwin House, which ironically Tom is now on the board of. So mm. we come back full circle. And then prior to that, I was at the University of Virginia, Wahoo Wah which Tom was also at. Wait, that's something people don't, <laughs> don't know. know. <laughs> that's right. That actually is something we don't know. Yeah, we were both at University of Virginia at the same time <laughs> yeah. in the same dorm, and we didn't know each it other. It didn't know each that's other. That's weird. <laughs> huh. See? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Totally unprepared. Something people didn't know. I didn't there even you think, go. Yeah, there that's awesome. Um, yeah, and then I actually have an electrical engineering degree from the University of Virginia, which really throws people off. So there was a point in time where I was working for hospice, and somehow we get in these conversations about schools and where you want. And people are like, you're in hospice, but you have an electrical engineering degree? I'm like, yeah, but you know what? I love yeah. how my career path has taken me to where I am today. It all is connected. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> okay. Now, now, one thing that a lot of people don't know or don't think about is that people that work in these fields that are constantly dealing with folks that need care and are going and experiencing dementia and families that are experiencing Alzheimer's dementia, things like this, it's emotionally draining. It can be mm-hmm. very, very difficult. Um, you know, people think of hard work as construction workers that are out there busting their butts every day, 10, 12 hours a day, and, and they're exhausted. Mm-hmm. But they don't realize is that what you do and what caregivers do and what all these people that are providing so much for these families, it can be exhausting. Um, yes. And so my next question is, revolves around that, really. What is your mantra, motto, or something you say to yourself to keep you focused and on track? I think daily habits make all the difference in the world. And if, if part of your plan for the day doesn't go according to plan, don't beat yourself too mm. much over it. Yeah. Just get back into the pattern, get back onto the saddle. And doing lots of little things consistently over time, that's, that's, I think, a real big path to success and happiness in my life. Mm-hmm. 
And I say for me, because, you know, being the sandwich generation, you just feel like your days are locked up with so many to do's. So one of the things that I've always said is some time is better than no time at all. So you have to carve out some time to do the things that really bring you joy. Yeah. And, and I've said this way back in my software days. So sometimes it's just a matter of making time to go spend the weekend with the best friend that you haven't seen in 20 years or finding, you know, reaching out to that coworker that you used to laugh with. And now you guys are in different companies and having lunch or just, you know, friends and family, your grandparents. Like if you can go spend an hour with your grandmother, sometime is better than no time at all. People Mm -hmm. feel like you have to spend the whole weekend or it's not worth it. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. A small amount of time is better than no time. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. All right. Next question. What is your proudest achievement? Uh, it's easy. I think right now I've got a, a, a kid in college and a kid in high school. So uh, proudest achievement is definitely the way my wife, Beth, and I have raised kids and being proud of them and, and watching them launch nice. as we're racing towards an empty nest. You know, it's a, maybe a little bit more top of mind now than it might have been five years ago. But that's certainly the way we're parenting our kids and being proud of both uh, my son and my daughter. That's that's for sure the area gives me the most pride. And I would think for me, it's probably my connections with people, my connections with my family, my connections with my friends in the midst of everything that's been going on. And I realized that more so going through with the stuff with my mom, that there were a lot of people out there who cared about me Mm. and had stories about me caring about them at some point, right? So it was a very eye-opening experience to realize like, you know what, I've got some really good relationships and I'm really proud of those. Now yeah. you friend shame me a little bit. I need more better yeah. friends after watching you go through that stuff with your mom. Yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. Um, this podcast is going to be very successful. I already know that just because, well, you guys are amazing and the content is going to be fantastic. And we're getting this out to a ton of people. So the question is right. who should listen to this podcast? And then what are you going to be talking about during the podcast series? So I think first, coming from the senior housing and healthcare industry and realizing that as part of that industry, we just didn't talk finances at all. Mm-hmm. Nobody talked about money um, with the people that we were trying to move in or provide services for. So I'm really hoping that the senior housing and healthcare network tunes into this so they can see how the two worlds combine, mm-hmm. how senior housing and healthcare and finance actually are tied together We're serving the same people and the life care affordability plan is really built to build the bridge between those, those two tribes and those two languages above and beyond that, the, the everyday sandwich generation family member, like myself, we've, you know, kids working parents, so much going on. And when you start dealing with healthcare issues with parents and in-laws, a lot of times people just don't know where to turn. So a podcast like this is easy for you to just get some basic information about things you may need to know now or things you may need to know in the future. Yeah, I think uh, the only other, I would probably say from, from you know, the kinds of listeners beyond maybe their professional personal situation, we're, we're hoping that this podcast attracts people that are interested in the psychology of making difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. Like how, how do I make decisions when I'm confronted with the ambiguity of how long somebody might live or what kind of help they might need mm-hmm. with incomplete information about 
how their money works or what the stock market is doing or whatnot. How, how do you actually make decisions with all of that? So I think that this podcast is going to appeal to the curious, the people that want to have a better understanding of uh, what's the best practice of decision-making mm-hmm. in difficult times, because we borrowed a lot from decision coaching from doctors with the way that they're counseling their patients in challenging healthcare situations. We borrowed a lot from psychology, we borrowed a lot from behavioral finance. So I think the curious are going to be attracted to the podcast. That's a lot to look forward to. Yeah, and we've got some great guests scheduled and some anywhere from dementia. We go over some case studies. We talk a little bit back to the decision making and how difficult it is sometimes when you're in the moment mm-hmm. to determine whether to go left or right. Right. So some tools to make you stop and think about how you make those decisions. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Last thing, uh, how do they reach out to you? How do they get a hold of you if they want to talk to you? Well, well, certainly. I mean, we're building this in, in tandem with a website that makes things pretty accessible. Uh, things like contact information are, are, are all going to be available on that. Uh, the website is affordlifecare.com. I think that beyond that, the best way to get in touch with us is probably going to be keep listening to these podcasts. We're always going to be bookending the podcast with ways to get back in touch and redirecting both on the topic at hand and back to our website. Mm-hmm. So, when you're trying to think of habits and you know regular habits make things a little bit easier, I think that the habit of using this podcast and the resources that we're going to be putting on the website on a regular basis, that's going to be the best place to keep in touch with the ground that we're hoping to cover together. Thank you guys so much for your time. I'm really, really excited about what's coming down the pipe here. So uh, I'll look forward to our next meeting. Me too. Sounds good. All right. And thank you all for joining us today on the Life Care Affordability Planning Podcast with Tom and Arvette. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tom and Arvette come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends, family, and your coworkers. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Life Care Affordability Planning, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Views and opinions provided herein are those of the individual speakers. All content is informational only and is not intended to be an endorsement or recommendation of any particular investment strategy or other course of action. Consult your tax, legal, and financial professions concerning your specific situation. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through SEIA LLC. Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Life Care Affordability Plan is a marketing name for SEIA. Services related to evaluating the client's health care treatment plan are independent of and not endorsed by Royal Alliance Associates, Inc.